0: Welcome to this episode of the Cybersecurity Transformation Podcast. My name's Steve Lamb, and I'm joined by JC and our special guest Hani Banayotti. Hani, could you give us an introduction, please?
1: Sure. Uh, good morning, everybody. Uh, Steve, uh, JC, pleasure to be introduced here. Um, about myself: been in cybersecurity for the last over the last twenty years. Uh, started towards the late nineties. Uh, started in the UK's defence sector and then moved into uh, the consulting industry and finally in 2015 set up my own company uh, as an independent cybersecurity advisory uh, firm based out of London. Um, it's, it's everything I give passion to and it's everything I've been doing throughout my professional career.
0: Thank you Hani. Uh, it's great that you're joining us and giving us uh, some of your thoughts. So our topic this week is talking about cyber insurance, something that a lot of organisations uh, invest in, um, and the different stages of benefit that they get from that. Um, JC, can you just get us started on this one, please?
2: Yes, yes, absolutely. Thanks for joining us, Hani, on the on the podcast. You know, um, uh, Annie and and Corix have been uh, have been working on, on on cyber insurance and exchanging on the topic for a number of years now. Um, the, the topic of cyber insurance itself is a topic Corix Partners has been exploring since twenty sixteen, and uh, we've just released a, um, a, a white paper earlier this year together with uh, Annie and, and and Cyber Solace, uh, updating. Um, Updating our, our our view, if you want, of the cyber cyber insurance marketplace. Um, it, it's a topic in constant evolution, from my perspective. And even very recently, we've seen a number of uh, of movements. For example, in in the U.S. around whether whether it is uh, it, it is it is legal or illegal to pay ransom in the case of ransomware attacks and things like that. All those things are putting cyber insurance under in under a significant amount of pressure. And under the under the spotlight, and those are the kind of things we're going to be talking about and what we've been uh, exchanging about, really, with Hani and Cybersolus for a number of years. Hani, tell us a little bit what are the main developments you've seen recently around cyber insurance.
1: Thank you, JC, for this introduction. Um, In terms of general, uh, generally speaking, from a general point of view, uh, the the main changes uh, have been in terms of the, the, the level of strictness that the insurers apply whenever they're onboarding a new client, or whenever they're settling a new claim, uh, and I guess I better give a little bit of history uh, on that, just just explain where things were and how how they came to be where they are now. So cyber insurance in general started roughly towards the turn of the century, right at the beginning of the early 2000s, that's when it started really beginning to show its head as, as, a, as, a, as a relevant topic to be, to be taken into consideration. And at that time, it was mostly large organizations in the tech and telecom sector. Uh, these were the key players who were interested in buying cyber insurance, and it was very much a niche uh, uh, product. Um, and, and very few companies actually looked into it and often the ones that did were very mature and, and, and very large uh, type of organizations. Uh, companies like small to medium never really, never really were in the, in the radar at that time. Um, it started building up momentum towards the turn of the decade, so around 2010, that's when it's started to become a a more compelling uh, business opportunity for the insurers, uh, but also from uh, the business consumer community, uh, where they started seeing it as an option to manage their cyber risks. Now, over that period of time, uh, between let's say 2012 all the way up until 2018, end of 2018 even, the, the, the cyber insurance market was uh, roughly in a build-up phase, uh, essentially what, what the insurers themselves call uh, building up their books. So effectively, they're just uh, in a phase of, of developing uh, the market and acquiring new clients and really helping customers understand what the cyber insurance uh, value proposition is and what it can offer them. Up until that point, um, the, we started seeing a change uh, in terms of the the, the uh, industry players that bought cyber insurance. So all of a sudden, from the big, large multinationals to the medium size, to even the small size, to even to the level of individuals, uh, started taking up cyber insurance uh, at, that, at that period of time. Um, Now, again, just to give another highlight around the the, the percentages, at at the moment, as far as I know, and from my experience, the the vast majority of cyber insurance buyers are the the large organizations, and that tends to be around 30 to 40% of the insurance uh, market. The small to medium are roughly about 5% of the market volume. So there's a big difference even now. Now, why am I talking about all of that? Uh, The the reason being is, first of all, to highlight where it started, how it's evolving in terms of numbers, but also to to explain where the the, the, uh, motivations were. We started seeing the smaller companies uh, taking up cyber insurance, predominantly because of the heightened cyber risk Companies all of a sudden are becoming far more digital than what they have been, and they are also becoming far more aware of the cyber risks. Plus, the media is obviously making a very good job of highlighting every breach that happens uh, every every other week or so. So it's a number of factors that push people from across industry uh, to take up cyber insurance, um, and and the other reason is obviously the the return on their investment in terms of cyber insurance so for a very small upfront fee uh, they could get quite a significant amount of cover and help specifically for the smaller companies that don't necessarily have any cyber capability in-house often the cyber insurance comes to play as a useful tool uh, in terms of not just settling uh, 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 funds or uh, paying for costs but also providing the relevant expertise to help these small companies that don't have uh, the right capability in-house. So thank- that, that's my overview. Sorry for going a little bit overboard with it, but hopefully that give a, a broader picture.
0: That's great Annie. thank you. It's really interesting. Can you please just share some of the main drivers? Uh,
1: the, so the main drivers and again I'll, 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 I'll split it into two segments that you know I'll, I'll talk about contemporary times basically in the current current era. Uh, The main drivers, number one, is the actual threat factor, cyber threat factor. A lot of companies are falling foul of cyber crime and cyber breaches, and they're feeling the pain, and and that is the number one uh, motivation, in my my opinion, that's driving companies to take up cyber insurance. Certainly, for the smaller to medium-sized segment of the industry, that's their key motivation.
0: Thank you.
2: Annie, what, what do you think um, GDPR has, has, has had as an effect? Do you think it has played a role as well in uh, in making making companies larger and smaller realize that uh, somehow they need to protect themselves in a, in, in, in a more in a more uh, consistent and, and significant manner?
1: Good, good question, JC. Now, uh, I'm going to position my answer to this purely on a personal opinion and on based on the work that we do. Uh, as you well know, we, we the vast majority of our work is helping clients uh, contain and recover from cyber breaches. So we see a lot of a lot of that in our daily routine. Now, is GDPR a key factor in? I guess, raising their appetite for buying cyber insurance? In my opinion, no. I think a lot of the companies that bought, buy, or are looking to buy cyber insurance are driven mostly by the risk and the, the pain factor that they experienced when they suffered the breach. Um, I, I, I think GDPR raised the profile of awareness, but it, was it a key decision uh, factor in, in buying cyber insurance? In my opinion, no, because to a large extent, um, cyber insurance doesn't even cover GDPR penalties. So, uh, in, in most European countries, anyway. So, it, it doesn't even play a factor in that. Um, has, it, has it helped in terms of um, fueling the interest? Yes, to some extent. But I wouldn't say that it's the primary factor. I think the primary factor has been the recognition that cyber crime is absolutely prevalent out there and the risk is 100% tangible and could be existential for some, some organizations.
2: And ransomware, I'm sure, has played a very important part. We don't want to spend the whole podcast talking about ransomware. We've we've already had ransomware as a topic. uh in, in an earlier podcast, and we may come back to it, but surely ransomware and the acceleration of ransomware attacks since the since the beginning of the year with the COVID crisis and the lockdown, surely that has had an impact. I would imagine in in driving up the the, the, the awareness level and the realization that cyber threats are real and and that you need to protect yourself. Indeed,
1: and and that is 100 percent true, uh, JC. Cyber um, uh, ransomware. Uh, as one format of cybercrime has been one of the key uh, emerging trends over the last two to three years. and it's been a scourge on on, on uh, all uh, uh, you know all corners of industry, not, you know not just the private sector, but also the, 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 the government sector. Um, now, cyber insurance does play a big role in in ransomware attacks in, in the sense that not only does it cover, uh, uh, the, the, the recovery and containment and technical uh, investigation aspects but it also can pay for the ransom demands as well and um, in fact the industry, the cyber insurance industry has been often criticised for for uh, uh, making those payments because the, the, the general perception is that it only uh, cultivates or catalyzes more cyber crime um, but Often you find that companies that end up claiming cyber insurance to cover uh, uh, extortion or, or ransom demands often are using that as a very last resort. And without the cyber insurance cover, many of these companies might have even gone out of business as a result. So, yes, it, it, is, it is a blessing, but there's also, there's also a, a gray side to it as well, because obviously you are paying criminals at the end of the day
2: yes and that's exactly the the the, the, the aspect i was uh, i was mentioning at the start of the podcast when i when i was talking about those noises coming from some uh, u.s regulators about potentially making illi- making it illegal to pay uh, to pay the the, the the ransoms um now i want to move on to a- another aspect of the of, of the topic we've been talking a lot about 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 buyers really about companies buying cyber insurance to protect themselves let's look at the other actors in the market the insurers themselves the the insurers the reinsurers the brokers you know the the insurance ecosystem as such, and of course the regulators in the background are, yes. wow. of course ensuring uh, ensuring uh, uh, the you know the correct market the equilibrium across all the all the players what are the main issues do you think for for insurers um, in, in, when we I mentioned earlier the the, the the white paper we've produced earlier in the year, updating our, our our view on the cyber insurance marketplace, and and at the time we were we were um, working on that. you I, I heard you a lot talk about silent cyber. What is silent cyber, Hanni? Uh, Could you tell us a bit more about that and where it fits or where it should fit on the insurers' radar? Sure,
1: sure. That's that's a that's a big question. Um, so. In in terms of the challenges that that, that the insurers are facing, I guess they can be summarized in in two basic uh, terms. Number one is the liability they're carrying at the moment uh, out of all the insurance policies they've issued. Uh, And and secondly, the silent cyber, which you rightly mentioned. Um, And and that's that's an important topic for insurers because in the past, all the, the old insurance types of insurance policies issued by insurers uh, that covered not just cyber security but other types of insurance like property, like crisis, uh, like directors and officers uh, insurance all had a flavor of cover of, of cyber um, of, of cyber incidents in them. Now, the biggest challenge uh, for insurers at the moment. Obviously, there are standalone insurance policies as well. Um, which they can quantify easily, but the bit that they can't quantify easily is the cyber insurance covered by other types of policies that may not be so explicitly visible or easy to identify, and that's why they call it silent cyber. So you may have a type of uh, insurance policy, not necessarily a a standalone cyber insurance policy, uh, that covers you for uh, physical damage, Uh, environmental damage and and so forth and it may also as part of its remit also cover an element of of digital risk as well now this is the bit that insurers are struggling with because they can't quantify it and it currently is uh, I guess latent in many of the the paragraphs and clauses in these uh, insurance policies and because of the the ever-increasing risk of cyber attack, it's becoming a real headache for the insurers at the moment because they don't know how much liability they're carrying as a result of that. This is why they call it silent cyber, and this is what they're grappling with at the moment to try to quantify that. Uh, And in fact, earlier earlier this year, around January time, the Lloyd's market has actually issued guidelines and uh, direction to all insurers, to ex- either explicitly or or implicitly, uh, exclude uh, sorry, explicitly include or exclude cyber cover in their insurance policies and non-cyber insurance policies as well. So they need to be very clear what's included in terms of cyber and what isn't. Uh, this way, it would then help them quickly quantify the the level of liability because not it's not just the risk for an individual insurer but it's an a risk for the entire market to the point that they think it could have a domino effect if 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 an event of a significant magnitude took place
2: yes and when you mention an event of significant magnitude it reminds me of that article which was published in you know, a few days ago, literally, on the World Economic Forum website, which very seriously questions the way premiums are set and the amount of of of, of premiums which are collected, you know, in in relation to the the actual uh, the actual costs of any large scale incident, and it does echo something I've heard at an, at an event which I was facilitating in Paris towards the middle of last year, where a number of participants on the panel um, were talking about the cost of. Uh, of an incident in that instance affecting the aerospace supply chain in France. And they had estimated the cost of, 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 of a large scale incident affecting that supply chain uh, and, and cyber incident affecting that supply chain. They had, they had estimated the cost of that at a number which was a multiple, the total amount of premiums collected across all sectors for cyber insurance in France, which was a very, very you know, interesting piece of research, but very, very concerning at the same time. Um, where, where do you see the regulators uh, at, at the moment, Hani? Uh, on that, are they are they active? Are they sitting on the sideline, waiting to see what happens?
1: Uh, good, good, good question again, uh, JC. The regulators are not sitting on the sideline, but I think one of their biggest um, one of their biggest issue at the moment is data. I don't think there is enough data or or even knowing where to access that data, um, is is currently enabling them to make the right decisions. I think the regulator started off, at least the the, the UK uh, Lloyd's market certainly started off with the silent cyber uh, regulations uh, as a first measure. Um, But I think they are not standing still, they're constantly reviewing the situation and trying to understand Um, how things can be improved and certainly the insurers and the reinsurers from their part are increasingly concerned about this issue not just from a regulatory point of view but really they want to understand their risk as well because they don't want to find themselves out of business just because of an unforeseen cyber event uh, that they miscalculated or just simply weren't aware of uh, took them out of business because the liability was way way overboard uh, in, 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 in such a scenario. Now, the, the regulator uh, at the moment, uh, I'm not aware of any specific uh, guidelines that are out there, uh, other than the, the, the silent cyber initiative that, that's uh, fueling and pushing all the insurers to review their books. Uh, but I think the vast majority of the work is being done behind the scenes by, by the insurers themselves to really understand uh, their liability. And I think we, from our daily routine and and, and daily work activities, we're beginning to see that behavior change from insurers. In the sense that over the last three to four years, often you find insurers were very willing to onboard a new client with very little upfront uh, assessment or vetting in terms of their cyber risk. Uh, and even when it came to settling a claim, they were very easygoing, they would go ahead and even settle a claim without much questioning or even analysis of what's going on or what's happened. Uh, we're, we're beginning to see that through our interactions with the insurers, we're beginning to see quite a significant step change in their response uh, to cyber claims. So they they, they ask tougher questions now, Uh, they ask the uh, insured policy holder to justify their cyber posture uh, at the moment of attack and uh, forward-looking, and they're also asking us as incident response specialists to really give uh, a deep analytic opinion or assertion about about the insured policy holder during our investigation as well. That is something that wasn't so rigorous in the past. All of a sudden, we're beginning to see that ramp up in terms of rigor and in terms of emphasis uh, over the last eight months or so, really towards the beginning of this year. And we think that trend will continue going forwards. The upshot of that as well, we're going likely to see premiums for cyber insurance policies increase quite noticeably uh, in in the road ahead. Um, And I think that's not going to change anytime soon, uh, if only it's going to be an an, uh, irreversible change going forwards.
2: Yeah, the premiums going up is a trend we've been hearing about at least since last year. Primarily, well, it seems primarily fueled by ransomware attacks and the accumulation of that, and I don't think the COVID uh, crisis would have, uh, would have changed any of that. Honey, thanks a lot for that. It's a very good roundup of issues around the cyber insurance uh, uh, the, the topic. Steve, do you want to add anything? Do you have any questions? I think we've covered
0: a lot of ground. Um, it's a longer conversation than usual, but I think, Hani you've, you've shed some light on some really important issues. Um, but no, I think we're good. But thanks for your time, honey and JC as well.
1: Thank you.
2: A pleasure being with you. Yes, yeah, thanks a lot, hani Thanks a lot, hani for your time once again. And I've mentioned the white paper a couple of times throughout the the podcast that's the white paper Corix and, uh, and CyberSolid released at the at the beginning of the year uh, and it's available on on, on corexpartners.com and on cybersolid.co.uk feel free to go there to download it if you can't find it feel free to be in touch with one of us you've got the details on the podcast page as always and, uh, and, and uh, if there is anything you want to discuss, any questions any concerns, anything you want to exchange with us, by all means feel free to to be in touch that's what it's all about thank you to all our listeners thank you Hani, once again thank you steve
1: thanks everybody
2: great thanks thank you